Welcome back to the Fresh Expressions podcast. I'm Heather Jalad. And I'm Gannon Sims. And we are talking today about a blended ecology, really what local churches uh, can look like with Fresh Expressions and uh, really kind of in the symbiotic relationship with our inherited models, our existing models of, of churches. And we've got two great conversations here that we've teed up for you with uh, some people that are living into this in their churches and their communities in uh, Michael Beck and Matt Lake. Uh, Gannon, I know you talked with Matt and these are two very different contexts, right? Two very different leaders, um, but are living into this in their local context. What, what really struck you from your conversation with, uh, with Matt? Yeah, Matt is a pastor at a First United Methodist Church in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, a mid-sized city, sort of uh, central Pennsylvania, a couple of hours from the New York border. Um, and you know, Matt's pretty incredible. He's a he's a, a wonderful thinker and leader. And you know, he tells a story uh, about a kind of launching this pretty amazing what he thought was a pretty amazing discipleship pipeline for the church and sort of <laughs> orientation for for people on how they could really get involved and, and serve and that sort of thing. And he, he kicks this off, leads his session, closes it down, is walking out. And one of his best leaders says, is this it? You know, <laughs> is this all we have? Is this what it comes down to? And it, it, it took uh, Matt into a much more, um, a, a deeper dive into uh discipleship and and how to sort of embed that within his uh congregation and he really thinks of his congregation as is both a, a a gathered and sent people and so he talks about a sent side of what they do and a gathered side of what they do and how those two things are interrelated which is mm-hmm. it really gets at what we mean when we say blended ecology yeah. um it's, yeah. it's our it's our gathering I really think to proclaim what God is doing all week long in our everyday life. And then there's the sense side where he's got, you know, he's got stuff happening. Um, they've got dinner church happening. They've got church happening in a, in like a swing dance studio. They've got mm-hmm. uh, stuff happening on rugby fields. Um, and, and all of those things are, are cross translated yeah. uh, on Sunday morning. So it, so it does kind of create a whole different ecosystem, if you yep. will, because there's a, a mutuality. There's an exchange that happens uh, in this blending of the two. Uh, Michael Beck, I, I spoke to, and uh, Michael is in North Central Florida, uh, uh, a smaller inherited church where um, he is not afraid to share that he and his family like doubled the the size of the congregation <laughs> there for Sunday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, and they uh, over the years have started a number of of fresh expressions uh, in their local community, um, upwards of of thirteen or more. Uh, but but you know, one of the things that really struck me about the conversation that that Michael and I had was really about renegotiating the social contract um, that 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 our clergy have with their churches um, yeah. and the existing body and what it looks like to. Uh, to fully empower and send uh, the priesthood of all believers and how uh, all of the different um, parts are, are are really necessary for uh, the body to be matured, as as Paul says in, in his letter to the Ephesians. So um, really great conversations from these um, practitioners about what it means to live into this uh, this blended ecology of church. I'm joined by none other than Matt Lake, who serves as a, a trainer and strategist on the U.S. Fresh Expression team and as pastor of First Church, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And um, Matt's been a, a brilliant uh, companion on the journey for all of us as he has sought to lead his congregation, Historic Church into a new reality where there's a the much more uh, robust emphasis on discipleship, on mission, on experimentation, and on fresh expression church. So um, we're going to talk about uh, this concept a little bit, a concept we uh, frequently refer to as the blended ecology. 
blended ecology. And Matt, you just could you just venture an explanation for our audience and, and as to what we mean when we say blended ecology? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's great to be with you today. And um, yeah, when we're talking about blended ecology, essentially what we're talking about is for us, we are a historical church. Uh, our facility has been in existence, our primary facility since 1929. And so we do a lot of things that you might associate with a more historically established church. And we gather for worship in our sanctuary on Sunday mornings. And we have you know, specific identified ministries that many churches do, such as children's ministry areas and uh, youth ministry areas and visitation and all of those things. And we seek to live into those areas to the best of our ability. At the same time, uh, we increasingly have embraced as part of our identity being sent out into our community to meet people on their turf and to establish uh, discipleship, connection, relationship, and ultimately church where they are. And so we have a series of fresh expressions that exist that we are connected with. We call it the Axe Network in our setting. And we're just as committed to that mindset that we're not only going to gather in our sanctuaries on Sunday, but we're going to seek to worship with people on, on their locations, on their time, uh, in styles that they can connect with throughout the rest of the week. And uh, for me, a lot of times I go to the, the biblical background, which is really helpful to me. Uh, it's just a reminder in Acts chapter 2 that people met at the religious temple area, the official established religious area, and they met in people's homes. And both seem scripturally to be given credibility and validity. And so we've really tried to embrace that mindset and to recognize one is not better than the other, but there are strengths to both. And when you mix the strengths of both together, you have this blended ecology uh, out of which new forms of vitality seem to emerge. And we're just living into that and seeing what we're learning. What are you learning? <laughs> well, I'll, yeah, learning lots. Uh, I mean, one thing I would certainly say is that, uh, first of all, I just kind of alluded to it, there are strengths of both. It's really easy to think that one is the right way of doing it and one is not. Uh, and, you know, really, that's, that is not true. There are great strengths for both. And uh, for me right now, especially in this season in which we find ourselves, which is you know, I, I can use the word volatile at so many levels uh, with COVID and pivoting and cultural wars and all kinds of things. I'm learning that in our situation, this blended ecology in many ways provides a more resilient uh, opportunity, I believe, to be church because we're not dependent just on one form. And if that one form breaks, then suddenly we're, we're not able to exist anymore. Um, and so little did we know that uh, things like experimentation and flexibility and being more nimble, all those things that tend to come with, we call it the sense side of who we are, this, this fresh expression side of who we are, that that was preparing us uh, even for the more gathered formal side of who we are that who would have guessed two years ago that Sunday morning sanctuary worship would have to do this major change and either stop or be recorded or whatever form people took. But the very fact that we've been living into this more nimble form anyhow, I mean, we had a shock like everybody. But I think in some ways the shock, I don't know if I'd say it was lesser, but I felt like it allowed us to adapt a little bit easier because we'd already had some of that DNA being woven into who we are. So walk us back uh, a few years to just share with us how your congregation led to invest so heavily in, first of all, discipleship. Yeah. Discipleship. Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, I, I've said to a few folks, I would love to say, well, thanks to my brilliance and foresight to look forward, I was like, hey, we're going to really need to focus on discipleship, and this is what the church should do. But none of that would be true. Uh, thankfully, God, I'd say, moved in spite of my own <laughs> ignorance. And um, really the way that I remember one specific moment that kind of was one of those catalytic moments of moving us in this direction of a blended ecology and discipleship at the same time, and it was this. Uh, we offered at the time what I considered our most robust discipleship program. And we offered it to many of our most mature, vital disciples. And I remember one of those individuals who, to me, he's just sort of at the top of you know, what you want and hope for in a disciple of Jesus. We finished this, in my mind, robust program. And he walked out of the last session and he looked at me. And I don't even think he meant it the way it came out, but he said to me, 
is this all there is? <laughs> like, like, is this it? Like, we're done? And I, I just had this sort of moment of like, wow, like, I just gave you what I thought was my best in this robust thing. And, and he left feeling wanting in many ways. And I just share that to say that really started us on a journey of saying, well, if what we're currently doing programmatically is not speaking into discipleship for people today, and the people connected with our church and equipping them in the culture that we currently live in, we, we need to take a serious hard look at what we're doing or not doing and, and kind of start again. And so that's really what we did. And uh, that eventually led to something that we in our setting called the discipleship journey. It's a four-step journey, but it's quite different than anything I've encountered in other places. Uh, I would say if you look at it as an overview uh, steps one and two would look similar to other churches where people join in the life of the church and then they uh, volunteer in some capacity. But for us, we've added a couple more steps where we're not seeking to create church volunteers. We're seeking to create disciples that we empower uh, in in living into fully their giftedness and whether they are wired to work within more the gathered side of who we are or to be sent out into the community missionary wise and relationally and all of those kinds of things and incarnationally equally seeking to empower them that we're not just looking for again volunteers to run our church programs we're looking to create disciples who are meeting people in their context and going from there and that was that was a pretty big change for us and uh, you know we're still experimenting our way along in that but i at least haven't heard somebody say is this all there is <laughs> so that's that's been good it's deeply encouraging so uh, talk to me about you know how you how you define discipleship, and then maybe a story of someone who you've seen sort of go from not quite sure to aha, I can do this. Yeah, sure. So uh, maybe the easiest way to say that in terms of discipleship is, I mean, at a most basic level, we would view discipleship as being a follower of Jesus. So the key word there in the follow is that it's action oriented. Our actions match our belief. Um, the way we've sought to break that down in our setting is we help people, first of all, connect to the body of Christ and in Christ. So connect is step one. We then help people discover their giftedness, uh, whatever that may be. But then for us, step three is we seek to help people embrace that giftedness that in a way will lead to a sense of multiplication, being sent out where they then are investing in others who can help raise up others who can help raise up others. That's how we've broken it down. Uh, yeah, and a great example of that for me is a woman named Charlene. Uh, Charlene had been one of those individuals who sat in the church pew on Sunday morning for really about 30 years. And she's great. She was great when she was you know, sitting in the pew. But I think she viewed herself as that was the extent of discipleship. And one of the things that Charlene has come to understand is that she has a real heart for elderly and for seniors. And uh, once she realized and discovered more of that giftedness, we really encouraged her to embrace that and what that looks like in her life. And for her, as she considered um, what it meant to embrace that giftedness, Charlene was surprised to discover Alan Hurst talks a lot about APEST. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And traditionally, I would say much of the gathered side of the church is pretty heavy on shepherding and teaching, and those are wonderful gifts. We tend, though, to be lacking a lot of times of being apostles who are sent and sharing the good news of Christ. And one of the things that Charlene discovered as we went through our disciples' journey is that she had a stronger sense of sharing the good news and even being sent than what she had originally realized. So even though she had this shepherd heart, she was willing to go out. And so what that ended up leading to for her was she was willing to go to one of our local nursing homes, and she has been serving there, connecting with the residents and helping them grow in discipleship and even worship together. So much so that she's really owned uh, the, the particular nursing home that she's in. She sends notes to all of the individuals. Um, she meets with them for worship experiences. Um, we, she's helped them connect in some worship, uh, some Christmas opportunities even. So, uh, her work in that way has been a really wonderful sense of seeing her shepherding heart be encouraged, uh, to move in a more apostolic way. And now we've got this worshiping community that is slowly emerging, even in a nursing home from a lady who sat for 30 years in a pew on Sunday morning and thought that was the extent of her discipleship. I think so often we have to help people reimagine 
right. what it means to follow Jesus, because they're doing what they think they're supposed to do. Right. Uh, no one's ever given them the option of doing anything else. Right. Um, so, um, you know, that's that's certainly a story of hope. Where else are you finding hope uh, in this moment? Yeah, I mean, I'd say in a couple ways. One is uh, we're finding hope just in um, new possibilities. So I feel like right now, maybe less than almost any time I've been in ministry, there's less resistance to trying something new. Uh, all these things we have counted on for so long, we either no longer have confidence in or we see that they're just not working. So there's a wonderful openness that hasn't been there before. That openness is leading to new opportunities for creativity. So that is a gift right now that we have. And just being able to empower people and say, try it, experiment around it, see what happens. Um, that has been great. And I, I think I would also say that even though I mean, we're not any different than any other church or most other churches right now where there's less people than what we normally see, you know, again, on a Sunday morning time or whatever. However, what's been a gift, I think, is seeing that those who come or those who engage, they're truly engaged. Uh, they're, you know, there's a depth to their discipleship. There's a, a ruggedness to their discipleship. And so there's almost a sense of if you're here now, it's because you're really choosing to be and therefore there's a commitment and a hunger and a passion and a desire that's not being watered down by others who might be floating along with you. Uh, there's been sort of this separating out. And actually, that's a gift to be able to be more connected directly with people who want to be all in. You know, uh, uh, the all in mentality, and it's almost like it's, it's self-corrected in some ways, but how else have you sort of witnessed people going all in? I would say a couple ways. So again, I want to go back to the idea of, of open to new. Um, I feel like new in the past used to threaten people. <laughs> um, and, and I think part of that was because we would say we relied on God, but I'm not sure we really did. I think we, I mean, I mean, maybe we meant that sincerely, but I think we also relied on the programs and the other things that came naturally to make our understanding of church be church. But because those have been removed or are being removed to some degree, um, now for people to be all in, there's a, it's, it's sort of like, well, we're going to do what we're doing, but we're totally open to trying something new. And again, not getting that static because I feel like the focus is shifting not so much on what's working for our form of success, but rather what's truly faithful in this moment and a willingness to engage in that. And that's that sense of all in is really, really good. Um, we, are sent, we are noticing among some of our folks that because those people are all in, they're willing to prioritize in a way that maybe they did not before. So I think COVID is kind of this weird thing where simultaneously we've got, more, well, we have more time when things are canceled, but at the same time, less bandwidth than ever. <laughs> and one of the things I'm seeing from the all in folks is their prioritization to say, I'm going to be engaged and I'm going to be engaged in this way and I'm going to make it a priority with my resources and my time. Um, and so that's been a great thing. I mentioned earlier too about the disciples journey we're going through. Uh, just to give you an example, um, we, it's, it usually acts kind of as a funnel. So discover is where you get the most people and then connect, or, sorry, connecting and then discovering and then embracing and then multiplying. Um, I'd have to actually look at the numbers but percentage-wise, this time as we're going through it this year right now, we're going to have about as many people in our Disciples Journey Step 3, uh, which is a higher commitment than our Disciples Journey Step 2. The numbers aren't super high, but it's also not shrinking the way it normally does. And to me, that's a sign, again, that if you're going to take a step, you're going to be all in and you're going to keep moving as far as it will go. And that's been really encouraging. Healthy parts of the body. Um, <laughs> So what about the ways in which you have seen, I don't know, something maybe that surprised you the most in this last two-year cycle of pandemic reality? Has there been something that just made you go, oh, okay, we can do this? I mean, in addition to the pruning that you've you've already you know sort of suggested, but what else has sort of given you hope or surprised you? I guess about this. You can say surprised in a good way or a negative way. Uh, no, please, the, you can do both. Actually, that that'd be really helpful for the audience. I think. Sure. 
So uh, I guess maybe the so surprised in a more negative way for me might be I think a lot of the things that we saw happening pre-pandemic I, I have been surprised at the speed <laughs> with which they've happened through the pandemic. So if you had fringe people before the pandemic and seeing them occasionally, I mean the speed uh, with which that during the pandemic, like those people that were on the fringe, I mean there's been a significant drop off there. Um, that has surprised me. I'm increasingly surprised as well by, I feel like that during the height of COVID, when people were most locked away, uh, the, when that happened, people were able to be sort of in this endless cycle of news feed that most uh, affirmed their beliefs or their leanings. So I've been surprised at how hard it is now to speak into uh, that reality that if your voice is different than what they spent all of that time hearing on a 24-7 news cycle or social media cycle or whatever you want to call it, man, that that has been a challenge. Um, so, you know, in that regard, divisions, if you want to call it that, um, have really become much stronger than I would have anticipated and much that happened much faster than I would have anticipated. Um, so I think I think I would say some of those things, but at the same time, I've you can argue this both ways. I've been surprised at how resilient uh, the church is. Um, you know, like whether that was meeting online or um, even now that we can meet again, despite all the challenges that are out there, church keeps happening, and that's been really exciting. So the resiliency of the church. I already mentioned things such as creativity and an openness; those have been great things. Um, I think I would also say, though, um, I've also been surprised. At, at the importance of relationship has been highlighted for me in ways that I would not so much wouldn't have expected, but rather the level of importance of it. So, for example, this has amazed me a couple times now. There have been some individuals that we literally have not seen for a couple of years in a gathered formal worship setting. And yet when we have run into them in other places uh, through community and those kinds of things, they've immediately said or made reference to still being part of our church. And so it, it's really kind of messed with my head to say, what is it then that causes us today to qualify in my own mind that I am connected with the church? If I'm not seeing them real regularly. And if I'm not seeing them in worship, you know, what or how is that working? And Part of what I'm realizing in that is because we've had a walk with them, just because we haven't seen them as recently, that did not equate to them no longer being connected in our part of the body of Christ. Uh, they would say, you know, it's been sort of the craziness of life and it's kept them away, but it hasn't taken them away, meaning out of the body. And so that's been interesting. And that's sort of simultaneously a word of caution of like, well, gosh, how do we form relationship then? Or what does that mean to be in relationship? But at the same time, it's actually given me hope because I'm like, oh, the door isn't closed there. These are people I thought maybe were gone forever. And I'm suddenly realizing, oh, they're not. Uh, and so there's a new opportunity to re-engage and grow together. And that's that's been invigorating. Just because I don't see them doesn't mean there's not still a connection upon which we can build. So that's been a, a great surprise and in a good way as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything that you're reading or something that's helpful to you as you sort of navigate the season? Um, well, um, in the last couple of years, I had the the opportunity to to finish my dissertation. And one of the things we needed to read with that was a book called Patient Ferment um, by Kreider. And I have to say, so it's a, you know, it's a it's a look back at the early church. And that actually has been super helpful for me. Because seeing what the early church, um, how discipleship occurred in a culture that, you know, Christianity was not known or it was not friendly towards, like, what did this early church do and, and in order to make and foster these mature disciples? Man, there have been so many great parallels in that, not the least of which has been, it's just going to take time <laughs> and intentionality uh, and more time and more intentionality. So that's been really great. Um, I've also enjoyed... Some of the work with uh, you know, John Mark Homer, uh, Mark Sayers, they've, uh, they've really done some great things. And they have a podcast called This Cultural Moment. But I don't think it's even like, I think it's done, actually. But their ability to look ahead, again, I feel like I listen to that. And I feel like, man, there are so many parallels to what's going on today. It just helps me make connections that I'm not sure I would have made on my own. And then I've referenced our disciples journey a lot of times 
throughout this podcast today. And uh, again, Alan Hirsch, Michael Frost, like they've done just such great work um, around the APES stuff and Alan with Forgotten Ways. That, that book, we just kind of come back to again and again and again in our own journey. But those are, those are a couple of things that have been really helpful to me. Well, Matt, thanks for your time today. You've been listening to the Fresh Expressions podcast with Matt Lake on the blended ecology. Thanks. Glad to be here. Hey, everybody. I am super excited to get to have a conversation with my friend, my mentor, my sensei, my... um fellow mischief maker in the Fresh Expressions movement, Michael Beck, today. And uh, one of the things that I think uh, Michael has shared prolifically on and taught us so much about is this idea of a blended ecology. Uh, So I would love for us to kind of unpack that today. We really want to talk about what a blended ecology is, what it looks like, and um, and really how thriving local congregations embody this whole idea of a blended ecology. So, Michael, before we kind of dig into the conversation, why don't you introduce yourself the way you like to be introduced and tell everybody a little bit about you? Sure. Well, Heather, um, I think most of the time it's me learning from you. So uh, oh, I, I appreciate that phrase. But, um, <clears throat> um, so I, I get to be married to my best friend and my co-pastor and partner in ministry, Jill Beck. So we work together, we parent together, and we um, still manage to to stay married. So we are literally together all the time. And uh, we've raised eight kids in a blended family, two pugs. And uh, we serve in a United Methodist context. So we have two uh, inherited congregations struggling uh, to survive through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And that's our primary like focus. We, we love the local church. We are shaped and formed by the local church. That's, you know, at the forefront of our mind, you know, I'm yeah. thinking about the committee meetings we got to have this week and the sermons we got to preach and all that and the teams that we get to. Uh, be a part of. Um, But so then there's some other roles. Fresh Expressions US, I get to serve as the director of remissioning. um, And at Fresh Expressions Florida, I just became the director for the conference in that that work in Fresh Expressions Florida. And I'm also the director of the Fresh Expressions House of Studies at United Theological Seminary. It sounds like a lot, and it kind of is, but it's all integrated, and it's all about teams, and it's all about shared leadership, um, and everything kind of fuses together around this idea of a blended ecology of church. I was going to say, you yourself are the embodiment of a blended ecology for sure, <laughs> in for so sure. many ways, right? I mean, the 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 fresh expressions of church, and yet serving in a uh, in the the inherited form of church mm-hmm. and, um, and also in the academic environment, uh, you know, what does it look like to train up, uh, our, our clergy, our pastors and, uh, what the church in the future looks like. And mm-hmm. so, um, so, so this word or this, this phrase blended ecology, I remember the first time I, I probably read it was in your book, um, deep roots, wild branches. And, uh, it's my understanding really that this is something that's kind of evolved from the, the whole idea of mixed economy where our, our, our friends from the future, um, uh, in mm-hmm. England and the UK coined the term, um, Speaking about these inherited forms of church living alongside our, our fresh expressions of church, but I think we've kind of so complementary to one another, right? But but we've kind of taken that a step further in this whole idea of an ecosystem or or an ecology. So say a little bit about what exactly is a blended ecology, and then what does that look like? Yeah, and um, it was Archbishop Rowan Williams who coined the term the mixed economy, and then he's publicly said on multiple occasions how regretful he is Mm. to even have coined that term, um, because it is a biblical term, so the the oikios and all that, the household of God, and there's there's an ecology kind of language there, but you have to do a lot of exegetical and interpretation to what people hear when they hear a mixed economy is like a market, a free market capitalism and with a kind of a mixture of, uh, you know, governmental forms of 
capitalism kind of mixed together, right? So that that language cannot be helpful when we're trying to escape that whole meaning house, that language house of, you know, um, industrialism and yeah. uh, business. And we just love to take business concepts and import them into the church and, <laughs> you know, get the three quick steps and all that. But so blended ecology is the language we've been using at Fresh Expressions US since way back where we're just trying to, um, and, and the language kind of shifted to mixed ecology in the Church of England as well. But so ecosystems and thinking mm-hmm. about our context, our parish as a habitat with multiple species and life forms and different habitats of the spirit where church can spring up in sanctuaries and inherited church buildings and also in every other space in the community. And then I tried to push it a little bit farther with the blended idea because a mixed ecology is about those things living together in an ecosystem, and that's wonderful. Yeah. But what we've discovered is as you do that for a while, those organisms actually start to like breed and, and uh, tether to each other and to, to blend, for lack of a better term, um, where they start to, like, if you think about a, a tree that's had some wild branches grafted into it, that's right. what these congregations start to look like over time, that the, the fresh expression are very much part of the inherited church, and the inherited church is very much part of the fresh expression. They're, they're giving life to each other, so there's symbiosis. So rather than just being mixed together, there's a blending that takes place over time. Yeah, that's so good that that it's not just this this complementary thing or, or of two trains running on tracks parallel to each other, but there is an exchange that's happening between yeah. these fresh expressions of church and the these inherited forms of church. And in that exchange, I think it was um uh, uh it was actually Alan Hirsch. I think I heard him in a, a podcast mm-hmm. at one point in time where he talked about if you want to pass your traditions on, you don't ask your kids to wear your grandpa's hat you have babies exactly <laughs> you, have, you have that's how you pass your traditions on and to some degree that's that's what we're talking about in this exchange this this blended ecology absolutely so what does that look like in um in the churches that you serve yeah so um i i serve two very inherited traditional congregations um we've been serving at wildwood now for 11 years uh um the same same church and we came there 11 years ago, 30 folks in worship, older congregation, I like to say chronologically mature, um, saints who've been holding the church together with their prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. Uh, and they had what we call in the recovery community, the gift of desperation. <laughs> so uh, a small cohort of them anyway, were willing to like experiment and try some new stuff and go, you know, we just don't want to close. So kind of whatever... <laughs> Whatever you think we we need to do to not do that, right? We'll support that. Um, so that was just a great kind of starting point. And today, so there's all these fresh expressions that kind of orbit that inherited congregation. The the people uh, in that congregation have led them. Um, so they're all overseen by lay persons. And then we connected with people in the community in the process. And then they started to cultivate fresh expressions, got connected into the life of our church. Um, so what it looks like today is like we've had church and tattoo parlor for over 10 years now. We've had uh, burritos and Bibles, a church in a Moe's Southwest Grill and a Las Magueas. We have a church in a dog park. We have a church in a running track. Um, and at St. Mark's, so in the middle of the pandemic, this is congregation two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Methodists speak, we're a two-point charge, okay? Yes. But it's, it's like a new take on it kind of. But um St. Mark's was really struggling and, and, and on kind of a closure situation. And so that is the church that reared me, that baptized me, that pulled me out of the gutter when I was a street kid and a criminal and nurtured me in the faith. And so I had no real expectation to be anywhere but Wildwood. Like, I want to die, put me in the graveyard at Wildwood, yeah. Florida. That's just the posture I take in any church I serve. Like I'm yeah. here, I got no backup. Right. This is this is not a, a stepping stone to the next thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I think that's one of the problems that we have in in institutional churches is people, a lot of people are using congregations like stepping stones. But yes. But then when St. Mark's came up, I was like, yes, and like I want to continue to be with the wild ones and St. Mark. So just over the last year, I mean, we came in the middle of the pandemic. We weren't meeting except online. 
a lot of folks in that congregation not really feeling the online thing. So yeah. there was a whole kind of bridge to cross there. But now since Easter of 2021, we had our first worship services. It's just amazing what mm. God has done there. And we've got a dinner church already going. We've got a fresh expression for people who've lost loved ones. The substance abuse tattoo parlor church is actually in Ocala. We've created a, 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 a step up house for people in recovery. All these ministries are kind of just barreling out of there. We've done all kind of cool stuff. So it's already quickly becoming a blended ecology and signs of life, like new members all the time, baptisms, professions of faith, paid our apportionments in Methodist speak. That's like we paid our price of being part of the Methodist Church of the Global Ministry. So all of that very quickly. And it's not because like you go to these worship services and you go, this is the best worship service I've ever been to in my life, right? We have no staff, no no full-time staff at all. My wife and I are very part-time. We have one part-time secretary between both mm-hmm. congregations. It's lay people that have been unleashed and, and equipped in doing this. And so that's the blended ecology where there's church happening in the recovery community and at the tattoo parlor and at the uh, the community dinner, dinner church and in the sanctuary on Sunday mornings. And they're all people kind of interacting and growing and Right. Well, one thing that I think, you know, so, you know, I know a lot of um, pastors ears will prick up when you say your, you know, membership is growing, your worship attendance is growing, all those kinds of things. That's mm-hmm. not what we set out to do in Fresh right. Expressions, but that is some of the 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 fruit really that that comes along with the the faithfulness and obedience to, you know, to to actually live out the great commission and, and go and all of those kinds of things that, um, that we talk about doing, being, being on mission with God, wherever that might be in our community. Um, and, 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 and I think you've named something really important here too, in regards to a blended ecology is that you're not leading all of these things. Jill is not leading all of these things. This is a, a movement of the people of God that have been gifted in all sorts of ways that um, that you know are are living into their own calling as well. So, how has that, I guess, impacted even your um, the culture of your church as people are kind of growing up in their gifts and then being given the permission to to go and do what God's calling them to do? Great, great question and great distinction, and I'm glad that you named that because this is not the um, like next church growth strategy. Or if your if your end goal is I want to pack butts and pews at the end of the day, you know probably not the best approach to take here. So please let me be clear about that. But if your heart and passion is to reach people outside the church and connect with nuns and duns and share the gospel and form new Christian communities that are missional, contextual, formational, and ecclesial, what happens is people break down those stereotypes about Christians. They start to connect with you yeah. on a relational level. They start to go, oh, you know, Christians aren't a bunch of judgmental, angry, you know, whatever. And they do want to come back and journey to the inherited church and and be a part of that. So that is not the goal of it, but it's amazing when it happens. And it happens a lot. Yeah. Because I think that the, we get stuck in this box where um, it's all about, you know, online worship or in, in, in-person worship. And it's all about I, th- I think the key to what you just said there is to kind of renegotiate the social contract. Yeah. So for Jill and I, it's really easy, and we've dodged the bullet on ever being fully appointed as a full appointment to any one church. And it's been super helpful because when you know your pastor is quarter time and they are 10 hours a week at your as your pastor, right, the, the whole level of expectation changes. Yeah, yeah. Where as when when congregations have this programming that when the pastor comes, we pay their salary and they're there to be our spiritual butler and to lead our meetings and to visit (laughs) us when we're sick Mm -hmm. and to do all that. Right. And to some level, yes, that is Mm -hmm. the pastor's responsibility, but it's also the responsibility of the whole people of God. Yes. It's not one person's responsibility. So why are, why are clergy burning out in record numbers, leaving the ministry like that? Why do young people, why are young people saying, no, no, thanks. I don't think I want to be in ministry. Because that's just not a good scenario for anybody. So that social contract of, hey, we're in ministry together. You're called and gifted. What do you like to do the other six days a week when you're not at church? Who are the people you like to hang out with? What kind of food do you like to eat? What are the things that you like to do? 
let's talk about how those could be forms of church, right? And so then people are saying, you know, I'm called by God. I have gifts. And maybe it's not just about coming, packing in the pew on Sunday, but there's this whole other part of being a Christian that spills into the world now. So that's the really cool thing. And I think it also takes a, a kind of a leadership approach where you are not going to control this. Like yes. if you're one of those positional pastoral leaders and you like to have, you know, everything in the neat little uh, rows and it, it goes according to plan, this ain't going to work for you. Right. Like the blended ecology takes a little mess and chaos mm-hmm. and shared leadership. And mm-hmm. man, I wish that person wouldn't have really said that in that gathering, but uh, let's, let's just go with that and see where it goes. It, it just takes this kind of iterative, um, and, and in some ways, uh, like make it up as you go along. For so good. Yeah. yeah, no, so good. I mean, one of the things that you said is, you know, this whole idea of shared leadership and, you know, uh, people being able to live out of their own gifts and their own calling and their own regular rhythms of their life, right? This is not, hey, we're asking you to do something, you know, starts we're not asking you to do something that's out of the ordinary for how you how you the things that you like and the places that you go and the people you spend time with um but how is god you know how is god calling you in the midst of all of that um to be a part of of what god's doing Um, because we do for better or worse compartmentalize just like the you know what's happening in the building versus what's happening in in other other places and and this is an opportunity for the both and and um living out our faith in uh, a 24 um, seven uh, embodiment, incarnating uh, the, 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 the witness of, of Christ in the world. Um, so one of the things you said was about shared leadership. And I think that, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, when uh, particularly some of those, uh, those pastors with a, a positional authority and, um, you know, used to call in the shots, some, some would call them solo heroic leaders or whatever, found out very quickly, there was only so much of them to go around. Um, when you can't get everybody into the same building, you know, once a week, or twice a week or whatever. And I think shared leadership was something that a lot of people had to grow up into during that time. And uh, as a result, I think there were some good things that came out of it. So, so, so let's okay. talk a little bit about like how the pandemic has maybe even moved the needle on this whole idea of blended ecology in in your own churches that you're serving or or what you've seen in the in the movement. Yeah, I mean, it shifted us into this like you had to have a shared leadership approach basically because all your conventional ways that you were, you know, accustomed to leading were not, you know, valid anymore. So we had to all kind of innovate and learn to do different things that, you know, I think the one thing that I'll say that's been just a massive learning and a really exciting part of it all is the movement into online church. And I want to like separate, I'm not talking about streaming worship services. Right. Um, the really disappointing thing has been we, we, we just totally in our brains think online church, streaming worship services. I'd say streaming worship services like four percent of online church ninety six percent of it is creating groups where people are getting together in conversations discipleship it's uh prayer times it's doing fresh expressions online with like breakout opportunities where people can get together it's really using the medium and the flows of digital technology on their own terms to create christian community And I think so the blended ecology, even for myself, like, yeah, we were streaming our worship service. It was terrible. I don't know why anybody. (laughs) Um, Actually, in the pandemic, we decided not to stream our worship services anymore because we learned like people don't really care that Miss Ethel's having her toe surgery this week and that, you know, whatever's going on in Wildwood on this this particular day. Right. People in Pennsylvania and Georgia and they don't actually, so we were streaming this very contextual, contextually specific thing. So we just created a whole new worship community mm-hmm. called the Living Room Church. It's people, online people creating online worship for online, you know, folks that are joining into that. So it helped us shift into that and think of a blended ecology of, oh, it's not just the physical habitats, like in the tattoo bar or the dog park or the Tex-Mex restaurant. 
but also Zoom rooms and Facebook groups and YouTube channels and all those things can be places where the Holy Spirit's at work and communities yeah. being formed. Yeah. And 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 to some degree you had to iterate those uh those fresh expressions of church too in the in the midst of the pandemic. I think it I think it certainly moved people to to some degree to think differently about church um in every regard right i mean when you can't gather in um a um a physical space that it was so possible to to gather in a a, a virtual space or a digital space and um and come around the the person and work and word uh, of christ so um and I think it really did move the needle and and maybe open up some possibility for people considering what a blended ecology would look like in their in their church. And and I think that the uh, we will have an episode that's actually talking about digital uh, forms of oh, church cool. and really yeah. the need to kind of to lean into that new reality that's only um, that's only grown and expanded because of the the pandemic. Um, yeah. I would love to hear a little bit about, um, so I just picked up painting with ashes and you talk a little bit about, um, you talk a little bit in there about, uh, what you refer to as a, a shepherd malpractice in, in one chapter <laughs> that is, um, profound and I can't, I can't, um, say enough good things about, uh, what I read in there, but part of that really is a, a leaning into the, um, the, the, the existing or the inherited church versus everybody else outside that's not a part of the church, which is how we, you know, define fresh expressions or they're a form of church for people that are not yet a part mm -hmm. of any church. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you speak to just some of the people in history that have um, uh, fully embraced and embodied what it meant to be a follower of Jesus in all the spaces of their lives. Um, so I would love for you to just speak a little bit to particularly that chapter um, called Shepherd uh, Malpractice and, and Church in the Wild. We'll get to Church in the Wild in just a minute, but but Shepherd Malpractice um, and and what what is all entailed in there? Oh, well, you're trying to get me in trouble now. So <laughs> might as well go all the way with it. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, yeah, it, it's based in uh, Jesus' own ministry and life, obviously, right? And particularly, you know, Luke 15 is those three stories. Yeah. Uh, they're so like, thank God for the, for Jesus teaching that it just, it's been part of my spiritual development my whole life and makes, mm -hmm. makes ministry make sense and all of that. Um, but those three stories about a lost sheep, a lost coin and a lost person. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is basically telling us, this is what God is like. It's not the three stories about God is a good shepherd that'll go after a lost one. God's a, like a woman who will get down on her hands and knees and seek that lost thing till she finds it. God is a, a running prodigal father, which was, you know, unacceptable for a Jewish male right. who will run to their child, their daughter, their son coming over the hill, you know? So, um, but the, the shepherd malpractice idea, Jesus gives us that explosive and, and, um, dangerous story, right? About a good shepherd will leave the 99 to go after one. Yeah. And anybody who's there from the shepherd's union that day, they're going, that is shepherd malpractice, right? You cannot leave 99 good sheep to go after a lost one. What about the 99 good sheep? You know, what if a bandit comes or a, a predator, you're going to leave your 99? And and so in the context there, Jesus is talking to people that are called sinners by definition. Right. You know, people that are far from God or unclean or whatever that the religious establishment label wants to put on them. And the religious leaders are like grumbling and pushing away from Jesus and saying, you you can't be the guy. You're hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and zealots in your, in your own tribe, right? And so he says a good shepherd goes after that lost one, comes back, brings it, celebrates, and there's a rejoicing in heaven over one lost one who comes home. And and kind of gives us his whole mission statement for his ministry in life. You know, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So, yeah, shepherd malpractice is going to require us to take a little bit of risk to rearrange that social contract. Not not like being 
you know, crazy and just we don't care about the, the sheep in the pen, but to, to encourage those sheep to come out on a search party with us. Yes. And to remember the heart of what why we exist. Yes. That there are lost sheep all over the horizon and and we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the brokenness of this world. And if if I'm going to be accused of shepherd malpractice for for that activity, you know, I I'll, I'll receive that. And I think anybody, any of you who decide to receive that, you'll be in good company. <laughs> I was going to say, amen, amen, brother. It really demonstrates the, the the character of God and what God prioritizes, right? Mm. And I mean, to be quite honest, I have um, argued with more than a few uh, pastors about the significance of the 99 um, mm. that, that the shepherd would walk away from. Um, and it's a testimony to how we understand our role as, as shepherds and, and leaders in the, in the church. Um, the other really important part of Luke 15 is all of those parties, all of those celebrations that happen, um, in in every instance in those three stories. And, Mm. you know, I think one of the profound things, yeah. Are you saying that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> One of the profound things I think that's been brought to light in that text for me too is that the, you know, um, that we're told that heaven rejoices, that basically heaven is rejoicing as we are rejoicing on earth. That's profound. Not not mm-hmm. we're rejoicing as heaven is rejoicing, but heaven is rejoicing as we are rejoicing. Over mm. over that one lost uh, person or thing being returned. Um, but so, Amen. yeah, so, so, uh, I think that this is a, a, a challenging thing for us to, to consider and, you know, what the, what the, the future of the church looks like. You talk a little bit about the, the church in the wild also in, um, in painting with ashes. And, um, I know that the, our friends in the UK are, our friends from the future, our future, uh, to have talked about wilding the church, right? And mm-hmm. um, that some things need to not be neat and tidy, essentially, and they don't need to go exactly as we plan them to do, that we need to uh, be a little bit more um, uh, willing to uh, to follow the the wild child of the the Trinity, as you call the Holy Spirit, um, out onto the edges and um, and so, t- so say a little bit about church in the wild in that um, in, in regards to really the blended ecology as well. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Let, let me backtrack a little bit into how shepherd malpractice and church in yeah. the wild connects together. And, you know, a lot of people know Vincent van Gogh's story and um, Starry Night, one of the yeah. most known, you know, portraits, pictures, uh, oil paintings in, in the world, right? And we all know the story of like all the lights in that little town are on except for the church light. Mm. Um, and he, Van Gogh, actually painted that um, in his asylum, looking out over a, 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 from his asylum window to a blank landscape. And he uses imagination to create this little town and little church in the center of it where the light's not on. And his story is just amazing. Like he was called to be a missionary and an evangelist. And he was with the coal miners um, and, and like lived to vow poverty, gave away all his stuff. And he basically got kicked out of the institutional church right. because he was too radical. He, he was really shaped by the imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis, And so he get, was too much like Jesus. <laughs> to be, be in the institution. I'm just like, oh, and then he had this terrible kind of life and all kind of struggles. And then he created these beautiful things. And so in Church in the Wild, uh, shepherd malpractice, you know, it's sad that the, the world sees the church right now. If there's any image, I think that nuns and duns have of the church. It's like Starry Night, right? Where it just seems like God and the possibilities of God that are all over our everywhere, mm. except in the church sometimes. And that's a stereotype, and that's not true. We right. know God is fully alive in the church and, and doing amazing things. But that's just the, the, the bridge we have to cross in our culture right now, the way people perceive the church as a place of, you know, harm and not healing. Yeah. Um, and so church in the wild is we've that blended ecology requires us to go out and to be church with people. And, you know, Jay-Z and Kanye West, two of our great 
21st century poets have uh, <laughs> written a song called No Church in the Wild. I don't necessarily suggest that you go and listen to it, but basically <laughs> the heart of it is that there's no church in the wild where they're in, in mm. the world of drug dealing and gangs and all those things. There's just the church is not there. Mm. And that's partly true, right? So what would it be for to us to go? I do believe there's a church in the wild. I yeah. believe that's what Jesus created is a church in the wild with the wild ones. Mm -hmm. And what would it look like to go out and to form Christian communities and, and, and in the world, in the wild, and continue to take care of the inherited church, to grow it, to do innovative things there as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Another one other one other place that you really speak to this whole idea of 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 blended ecology uh, that that I think bears witness to what it looks like to to future fit um, kind of the the subtitle for the chapter future fitting the church um, with contextual intelligence in, in the book Red Skies that's coming out as a, a, a collaborative effort with a number of, of people. Um, contributing to that um, red skies um, that's mm -hmm. that's on the the horizon, if you will. But mm -hmm. you talk a lot about uh, this, this this theology of new creation, and you know, I think if if we've ever been in the midst of um, God making all things new right now in the church, uh, you know, I, I think this would be it. But that this whole idea of new creation is is centered in this vision of the future, and mm -hmm. um, and that you know pointing to the significance of contextual intelligence and, and what it looks like to future fit the church. So talk a little bit about that and, um, and what you've written there, because I think that can be helpful in, uh, in our ideas about a blended ecology. Yeah. And uh, I just want to say in red skies, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just carrying other, other people's water there. You know, we got <laughs> Alan Hirsch and Leonard Swede and, um, Onia is in there. It's just an incredible book, but yeah. I got to bring my little part in there. And if you if you look at the book of Revelation, okay, um, our ultimate destination, Revelation twenty one twenty two, is a is a blended ecology. It is a city, and it's a garden. Mm. It's a place where all human ingenuity and 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 innovation and imagination has been brought to bear. Like it's a city, right all that's still there and it's a garden and they're they're like mixed together all the tribes of the earth are gathered and worshiping the one lord it's a remix like the tree of life is still there yes. and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations every race space culture people gathered around so that beautiful vision like um the thing i try to suggest in that chapter it's in hebrews um where where it tells us we have this this anchor of hope which is the person of Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. But this anchor of hope has been thrown from our future. And, and we're holding on to that anchor of hope. And there's this, I found this fascinating thing called kedging that um, sailors do, right? When, when there's no, when there's inclement weather, or you can't move your ship forward. They would send out a little rowboat, drop anchor, and then pull themselves oh, forward yeah. by the anchor. So we think anchor, like you drop it, you stay in one place, there's a storm coming. This is Kedgings using the anchor to move yourself forward into the future. And we, as the church, are about the, the work of Kedging, future fitting, pull our, pulling ourselves forward by the rope of hope that's been thrown from the future in Jesus. And the, the blended ecology that we're just seeing, like the little snippet of it now is the church's, you know, denominations are kind of, if, if they're not crumbling, they're shifting into a distributed polycentric, non-hierarchical mm. way, kind of like the world is changing around us. Um, we're seeing forms of church kind of spring up all over the place. We're seeing the idea being challenged, the clergy-laity distinction, yeah, which is something, by the way, that early Methodism like blew apart, right? That women, men, persons of color. Yes. Uh, Methodist camp meetings was the first place where all that was happening, creating communities of equality and all of that. So. Um, what is that going to look like as it goes into the future? People are doing church in the VR. You know, there's a billion people in VR. We have a little living room church in, in VR. What's that going to look like? That distributed, polycentric, blended, all these forms of church, lay people and clergy leading together and forming new Christian communities. So 
that that chapter, I'm trying to give a vision of what that can look like. And the more important thing about that whole book is like, what do we do right now right. to plant those gardens, to to plant the seeds of trees we may never see grow, trees we might not, not ever sit under the shade of those trees. Right. But we're thinking generationally, we're we're doing now what we need to do to create a, a new a new beginning and a thriving future for um, the church. So good. Um, I'm I'm wondering if there is a um, maybe a question I haven't asked you that I should have asked you. Hmm. I guess I, I had to explain um, this all to a, a, a pretty large group of lay lay folks recently and. I could tell I was like not really connecting in some way. Sometimes I, I get like professor hat and I'd take that off and just be the local church pastor guy and, mm-hmm. and follower of Jesus guy. And I said, it just came to me um, that what I'm really talking about is, is two concepts. A blended ecology is about somewhereness and somebodiness. Mm. Somewhereness, every context has a terroir, a flavor, a taste. Like when you when you grapes have been produced in a certain place with certain uh, ecological uh, factors, you can right. taste it, right? This wine came from, or this coffee bean, or this from, chocolate, from my, yeah, or this chocolate, <laughs> yes. yeah. For my recovery friends, doesn't mm-hmm. have to be wine, but there's a there's a terroir. The chocolate has a taste. The the coffee, right. so that's somewhereness, and and the blended ecology helps us recover a, plate, a, a posture of somewhereness. Our place. Is not just a physical placeholder. It's a living, breathing ecosystem that we have to to cultivate uh, Christian community in a way that's faithful to that somewhereness of that place. Then the other concept is somebodyness, and this comes from our great prophet, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who said that when you instill a sense of somebodyness, uh, that that you matter, that you're a child of God. Um, that that you have an identity. Um, and he was kind of borrowing from one of his mentors, Howard Thurman, who had this concept that if if a person knows they're loved by God and their identity solid in that, yeah. they, they can they can do anything, basically, right? You can mm-hmm. overcome, you can so there every every person in our community needs to be imbued with a sense of somebodyness. Um, whether mm-hmm. we, we feel excluded or marginalized or broken or whatever our ism is. We're, we're supposed to be creating communities where people can know that they are somebody that's yeah. loved by God, that's cherished by God, that was created in the image of God. Um, and that's really, I think, the two things about the blended ecology that we recover, that we are helping our people understand the somewhereness, that we, we belong to a place. Yeah, This is our place, and God is, loves this place, lo- loves the zip code. We belong to these people. Like none of this really matters if you don't actually care and love people. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. It, it 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 not only do we belong to those people, but those people belong to us. And there is that <clears throat> there is that withness to to our witness that I think is so significant in that that it's not we're doing something for people or to people, but that it's it's with and. Uh, and and frankly, how we were uh, uh, created to be in relationship with God and with others, and as we as we um, uh, move outside of the certainty or seeming certainty of our uh, inherited forms of church, it it um, we can't help but be changed and grow and adapt as as we do that, and then bring that back with us to you know, to the existing church, to the inherited church. And and as a result, there is this constant um, ecosystem that's being grown and changed along the way when those, when that exchange is made, right? Um, whereas mm. if it's, it's completely one thing or the other, you don't have that exchange happening. And, mm. and I think from my own experience and, and fresh expressions, when you're able to live into this idea of, of a blended ecology, that um, our existing church, our existing church members, body, whatever, grows up in their own discipleship in ways that they didn't even imagine for themselves. And um, and all of these other things just, you know, um, frankly, uh, happen. Uh, the fruit continues to be born as a result of that. 
Michael, thank you so much for uh, for the conversation, for the inspiration, for um, gosh, just the com- what you what you have to offer in regards to what a blended ecology looks like and why it's important for the future of our church is um, something that we all need to be paying attention to. Um, where can people where can people connect with you online? And the number one place is um, michaeladambeck.com. I, I blog there and I kind of try to keep up to date there with everybody. I'm on social media and all those things. And um, at Fresh Expressions US, um, the Center for Remissioning, if if you have, you, you want to like think at a deeper level, get your teams together, start trying to experiment with a blended ecology or or even maybe you got some really awesome things up and running and and maybe want a little uh, support guidance as you're going through that. That's what we do at Fresh Expressions at the Center for Remissioning. So, you know, would love for you all to to reach out there. And if I could just put in a shameless plug for Painting with Ashes. Yeah. Um, I've I've written, my wife calls them church nerd books. I've written a lot of church nerd this books. This is not a church nerd book. No. <laughs> it's not. It has an explicit content label on the front because there is some stuff in there. But um I think it it gets to like the core motivation and a snapshot of where we are in a kind of a post Christendom society and how mm. creating communities of healing is is really where the church needs to be focused right now. So, well, I appreciate the transparency, the vulnerability, just how real you are in in that book and um i think that a lot of um a lot of folks can meet you there if they're honest so thank you thank you very much all right well it's so good to be with you um can't wait to talk again and we will see you soon thank you thank you heather Fresh Expressions is a worldwide movement of everyday missionaries who want to see churches thrive in the places we eat, play, work, and yes, even in our traditional churches. To learn a simple five-phase process for starting a new expression of church, go to freshexpressionsus.org backslash how to start. The Fresh Expressions podcast is hosted by Gannon Sims and me, Heather Delod. It's edited by Joel Limbaum and produced by Kathleen Blackie and Chris Morton. Our national director is Dr. Christopher Backert. If you've learned something or been encouraged by this podcast, please help us spread the word. You can give us a review on Apple Music or Spotify and share this episode on social media. Now, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that God's ways may be known on earth your salvation among all nations.